0: Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage, Captain Jean Luc Picard, Commander Benjamin Sisko, the Federation Deep Space Nine. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison.
1: I'm Adam Pranica. This is the last greatest generation Deep Space Nine episode, huh? This I is it. As it is, yeah. Unless they bring it back, they could bring it back as a new Star Trek, which was breaking episode one of this mythical season eight. Deep
0: Space Ten? Would they call it Deep Deep Space Ten?
1: I uh, I don't think that would be the title. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was just QAing our uh, our previous episode, not out yet as of this record, but uh, about to come out.
1: Yeah. The ep- I spent all week editing.
0: Yeah, you spent like two weeks editing that thing. It was a yeah. beast. yeah the, uh, the fans and I hugely appreciate the effort. It was uh, no small task at all.
1: I appreciate your appreciation. Your service is noted.
0: What? What's... You didn't thank him for his service, asshole. One thing that hit me that I don't think I said on the show is that I took an entire bottle of champagne to the dome over the course of recording that.
1: Yeah, I did too. I thought that was the I was deal.
0: Hammered by the end. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> I was like listening back to it and I was like, oh my god, I am just loopy in the in the end credits of this.
1: <laughs> there was a part of the app where you said that I had I had outpaced you. In the champs drinking department, and yeah, uh, I was surprised to hear it. I think I must have tried to catch up. <laughs> you're ordinarily, and I and I believe this to be true. I, I think you'll agree. Uh, <laughs> I'm a drinking man. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> uh, I drink my milkshake. <laughs> you're a you're a you're a faster drinker than me. I tend to be uh, kind of a slowpoke.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fast consumer of everything. Like I I, I don't know why I just I, comes from your time in prison, right? I eat fast. I drink fast. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the main reason is that I like I like the
1: food or drink at the temperature it's served at. Oh, that you know what that probably means that you're a frequent mouth burner then, huh? I am absolutely,
0: yeah. But like but like piping hot food is. A, a thing i really prize and like i i don't want my plate to like not be piping hot by the end you know are you a plate heater i have gotten into that since our buddy the goose uh advocated for it in uh on his youtube channel like putting the plates in the in the microwave or whatever
1: yeah i, I would it's, recommend the microwave because uh i thought i was a plate heater until i forgot some plates in the oven oh no like what's great is like you put your plates in the oven and then you prepare your meal and then you forget you put plates in the oven so you get cold plates like you always do. And then yeah. a couple hours later when you're cleaning up dinner, uh, you remember you have extremely hot plates in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's not the way to do it. I had a couple of news
0: items for the top of the show here today. Um, first is I was on an episode of Who Shot ya? Speaking of uh, of partaking in alcohol, we reviewed a film Look at called. You
1: using all your extra time,
0: <laughs> uh, we reviewed a film called Another Round that stars Mads Mikkelsen and is in Danish and has a cast of Danish actors. And uh, it's about a bunch of like dudes that teach at a high school who decide to run an experiment about what if we were just drunk all the time?
1: Wow. That yeah. sounds like so, a comedy, is it not? Uh, it's it's got uh, elements of comedy Here, and why elements I ask, of drama. Because Mads Mikkelsen is in it, I just assume comedy. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's so funny because
0: I really strongly associate him with like Le Chief. <laughs> Like sure. He's he's he is a villain yeah. in most of his western or most of his american roles, but uh, He's got a resting in,
1: villain face.
0: Yeah, I think in Denmark he's just like uh, every man, like dad kind of character. <laughs> like,
1: That's great. Yeah, <laughs> he's 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 the Danish Michael Gross. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so that was really fun. If you haven't listened to "Who Shot You," check that out. And also, really big. Do you do you get for... down to the
1: bottom of uh, who shot you? In that app, or is that just an ongoing? question that never gets answered
0: yeah that's kind of like you know one of those mysteries on lost where Mm. like kind of never never opening up the mystery box is part of the premise of the show i see
1: that's what keeps them coming back we have to go back kate
0: but uh the other thing i wanted to announce is that there is a a a new fan-made video game on a greatest gen theme did you see this
1: uh i did not why don't you hit me to it? I haven't really been on the internet much.
0: Two tours ago, I want to say somebody came through the merch line and gave us some T-shirts, and the one I went home with is uh, a is an Echo Papa six oh seven like custom T-shirt that looks I remember like. Remember that shirt. G- Galaga or yeah. or
1: Space Invaders or something. Yeah,
0: one of those one of those video games where the aliens come down from the top, but it's Echo Papa Six O Sevens and Riker shooting phasers at them. And that's a great shirt. I posted a selfie of uh, of me wearing this shirt and said, "I I love this shirt and I wish it, I could play it." And somebody actually made the game. I made a, a Bitly for it. It's bit.ly/slash607tgg, and uh, and you can find uh, you can find this game.
1: Try to beat Ben's high score. I dare you. <laughs> what is your three? Uh, what's what's your three-letter uh, high score name in the game, Ben?
0: I mean, take one look at me. What do you think it is, Adam? Ass. USA.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known uh, from all the flags in your background that you're clearly mm-hmm. filming other videos besides Greatest Gen videos.
0: Yeah. When I'm not doing this, I'm hosting a right-wing Colin talk show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure you're great at that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, my heart's not in it, but uh, but the, it pays the bills, buddy. I don't think any <laughs> of
1: their hearts are in it. It's a weird, it's a weird world. Um, oh, geez. is it already uh, porch beer o'clock? <laughs> I mean, uh, we're, it's a Friday,
0: you know. I
1: haven't had any, my last... any beer in the house in like months. I drank the last oh. of the beer, and then I uh, didn't get any more.
0: That is so unusual for you. You're usually a, like, really well-stocked beverageman.
1: Yeah, now it's just, uh, it's just the hard stuff and, yeah. uh, and drugs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, so what we're going to do today is not review an episode, but just kind of, like, look back on the series of Deep Space Nine... Yeah, and uh, and you know, talk about the highs, the lows, the memories, the things we've forgotten.
1: This is a lot like the uh, the Journey's End episode of TNG that uh, that Frakes hosted, where he just uh-huh. kind of saunters around the bridge, turning to camera, uh, <laughs> like spitting some facts and then showing some clips. It
0: never happened. I feel like Nana Visitor would do a great job at that, but she's also above doing it in a way.
1: Yeah. I I believe that. But also uh god, I I would love to watch that episode. That that yeah. uh that hypothetical episode.
0: Yeah, I kind of thought about firing up What We Left Behind one more time just to like cuz cause, cause I was kind of looking for that. Mm-hmm. Um I I think that like I mentioned we should on We mentioned
1: though that like we did a What You Left Behind Episode of the Greatest Generation, and that's in the, we did. Uh, the donor feed, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was I was mostly wanting to rewatch that today because I was like looking through a pile of Wikipedia articles and Memory Alpha articles and like rereading. We really episode. fucked that up
1: watching that documentary <laughs> months ago instead of now, <laughs> aka the perfect time to watch a retrospective documentary about the show you make a podcast about. Jesus Christ.
0: Bullshit. Yeah, we uh, we are not smart men. We're so dumb. But also, like I, like, I just felt like I was, like, trying to remember Deep Space Nine, and I think part of it is that we watched it at half speed relative to how we watch uh, The Next Generation.
1: Yeah, we really slammed TNG. And
0: part of it is just that, like, I, I watched so much TNG as a child that it, like... I can recall so much detail about it in a way that I just can't with Deep Space Nine. But uh, what do you say? Do you want to get into it?
1: Yeah, let's do that. I think a good place to start might be what you introduced, which was the idea of a show's place in your life. Do you realize how incredible this is?
0: No, of course you
1: don't. Now that we have watched the the first, now that we've watched TNG and DS9 back to back the yeah. way that we have, are your feelings about the series any different to the extent that, uh, you know, for that for that nice warm glass of nostalgia milk, uh, are you ever going to reach <laughs> for the, the jug of DS9 or are you still going to go back to TNG for that?
0: Uh, I think that Deep Space Nine will never be to me what TNG is, but... Um, I really enjoyed this rewatch and, you know, I think that it's, it's an eminently rewatchable show. I follow like the star Trek subreddit and I see people, I see people going on there all the time and saying, Hey, I'm just getting into deep space nine for the first time. Wow. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this. And, and like, that's, uh, that's such a cool thing that this show has stood the test of time in that way. And I think like it maybe stands the test of time better than TNG in some ways.
1: Uh because of its themes probably. Yeah. A more contemporary and- theme, a a darker, edgier type of storytelling. <laughs> I guess I guess it's
0: partly that and partly just that like it seems even when Deep Space 9 like really goes off the rails, which it does a few times, it seems like it had like kind of a more cohesive idea uh, of of what it could be from the beginning and I feel like TNG spent like two entire seasons like giving itself lots of opportunities to mess around and, and think of ideas for the kind of show it could be.
1: Do you think it was easier or harder to create stories uh, in DS9 than it was for TNG? Because I was really thinking a lot about the, the nature of the Federation in both series and right and comparing them in the way that's like, TNG, Starfleet is a very, how can I help you kind of federation yeah. where, where this is like a confident self-actualized uh, group that that sort of like realizes it's utopia and it appreciates the way it was able to advance to this point. While managing to avoid destroying itself in the process, but d s nine is like on that knife's edge, right? Where like it's right. it's constructivist while still like being very defensive because it's very like a uh, town on the edge of the frontier feeling like yeah. so, you, so you gotta like circle the wagons around the space station and try to hold this thing together that's very fragile. right it feels like a society that's more able to destroy itself or be willing to destroy itself or be subject to that destruction from outsiders in a way that that wasn't nearly the case in TNG.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that they both kind of hint at the other in in certain ways. Like there are always like evil admirals popping up in TNG and there's, Mm -hmm. there are existential threats to earth and, and the social order and stuff in that. And then also like, in Deep Space Nine, you're always hearing like about other people's perspectives on the Federation and Starfleet and what and what they mean and and how like they may not have as great a an image in other people's minds as uh, as they have in their own minds. And that's like a perspective we've always really valued, like in Wrath of Khan, when David Marcus is talking about Kirk as like a swashbuckling military man mm-hmm. it's like it's such a different idea than what Kirk thinks of himself as like right Kirk is swashbuckling and daring and kind of hawkish mm-hmm. but he thinks of himself as an explorer like that <laughs>
1: right I thought a lot about safety and deep space nine in a different way like on on TNG Uh, You're on a ship and rarely will the enemy be on board that ship, you know They're at a safer move are They're on the other side of the view screen and it felt so different to be on the station Where people can come and go and you don't know what their motivations are ever and they could be sitting right next to you at Quark's bar at any point or or gambling at the dabo table like it's uh, The danger is far more present that way yeah
0: I was just uh scrubbing through an episode and looking at Ops and thinking about the transporter pad being right there in Ops mm-hmm. and how different that is like the bridge is this like very special place on the D and like when people mm-hmm. come on who aren't authorized to be there you hear about it yeah. and they're beaming like f- refugees from the Gamma Quadrant into Ops <laughs> on, on this show.
1: And that's a that's a, a visual language too, right? Because uh, you're made to turn around and look behind you, which yeah. is like a very uh, instinctual human need to, uh, to protect yourself from, a, from totally. a threat or a predator, right?
0: Yeah, and and that permeability that the station is kind of an open space that anything could happen on is like baked into just like the way they thought about how to set how to build the set you know
1: right right yeah i mean and it was a decision they ended up regretting uh about three quarters of the way through when they just ignored the ops (laughs) altogether
0: there are a lot of things that really changed about the show over the course of it like i think that when they first you know sent a a ship into the gamma quadrant there was this idea that it was like an- another frontier, another, mm-hmm. like, you know, every town is going to be different and it's another opportunity for us to visit Planet of the Week and this one is weird in this way and we will solve their problem in this way. And also, like, those planets come to visit us. Like, they they had both dynamics in in those first couple of seasons, but, like, you know, like, Tosk, the... the- character that gets hunted mm-hmm. for sport. I am toss And like mm-hmm. the muscly red and white freaks that Quark tries to like set up a trading concession with.
1: If you really want a hundred thousand vats of tulaberry wine, I can put you in touch with the right people. Yeah. Those guys are great.
0: Like they're all these monsters of the week. And, and by the end, like they have been swept aside and you've got founders, Vorda, Jem'Hadar and like one or two victim species of the dominion. The dominion. What's that? It's almost like a different kind of quadrant at that point. Like cuz cuz it feels like there's that those like early episodes where like you hear the word dominion mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like oh, I wonder what that could be. You know, it, it, it's almost mysterious. And then by the end, it's like, oh, like everybody in the G-Quad has the Dominion's boot heel on their neck and it's everywhere and everything.
1: I think that's also related to the theme of safety that I was talking about before. Like like every every space station we've ever seen, every Starbase we've ever seen in Star Trek has been so enormous, so full of ships. Yeah. Uh it's probably one of the safest places in the universe to be is right. is a space station or a star base. and then here we are on Deep Space Nine, which doesn't have any of those qualities, except for size, I guess. I mean, it's not going to be as big as a star base, but like right it has it has the size benefit, but it still, for all of its torpedoes, feels like a target, yeah.
0: And it feels like delicate in a way that a Starbase doesn't. Like if you if you're like flying your ship through the garage doors and they're closing behind you, you're like protected. Mm-hmm. But Deep Space Nine, you're just like exposed. It's thin. It's it's wispy. It feels
1: you can trip over like... the bulkhead <laughs> on any walk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the accessibility issues are are many and various. Right. Right. It's uh, yeah, and another place they kind of stop going at a certain point is the G quad. Like they stop going to Ops, but also like when those mines go across the opening of the mm-hmm. of the wormhole. Like we're stuck in the Alpha quadrant for basically the rest of the series. Like we go like once or twice.
1: Yeah. After that, the mine as a technology was was such a great introduction. To this story, yeah. the war story. I thought that was really cool. I did too, but I
0: wondered I I wondered in in the writer's room if it felt like, okay, well, we've just kind of like chained ourselves to the idea of resolving this huge myth arc before we can ever do any monster of the week stuff again that isn't just, you know, bajour shit or whatever.
1: Golden Cotton. So I think once once you come up with the construction of the dominion and the races associated with it, I wonder to what extent as a creator on this show, you feel satisfied enough to rest right. having created them and knowing that they're going to be the baddies for the rest of the series. Like, I think one of the reasons that you write science fiction is to create interesting species and yeah. there was a point in this show where they kind of stopped going into the G quad <laughs> in order to introduce them to us, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if I that's love... related. Like the Dominion are an amazing construction and yeah. a, and a, and a great opposition in a Star Trek story. They're kind of like uh, the Borg, but with feelings. Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: like they're like it's it's amazing that they've. Like, one of the most amazing things about Star Trek is that they kept coming up with interesting counterpoints to what the Federation is. Like, Mm -hmm. the Klingons, the Romulans, the Borgs, the Ferengi, now the Dominion. Like, they they kept coming up with really interesting, like, complex, well-thought-out, non-Federation-style star empires. And I would really love for, like, Star Trek, Colin Picard or... You know, some other new Trek thing to like process some of this, like end of the Dominion War stuff. Because I really wonder about it. Like, what are the Founders about now that they've been defeated? What are the, what happens to the Jem'Hadar or the Vorta? Like, do they go back to just being a G Quad Empire, or does their empire fall entirely?
1: What a great question! Because this conflict was more significant than the Federation Klingon War. Yeah. The, the most significant conflict in the history of the Federation maybe it was as existential I mean, as anything else we know about, right
0: It's between that and the Borgs I would I would say like more yeah. so than the Klingon war yeah and I wonder like what the significance is uh, like I, I don't know this might be harder to deal with but the significance of Cisco becoming a prophet like merging with the wormhole at the end. And that's another thing I really wanted to talk about was the role religion plays in the way they tell stories over Mm -hmm. the course of the series. Because the Bajoran religion is like the rare religion that gets proven kind of true. (laughs) But like, but also it has all of the like, all of the. Downsides of terrestrial contemporary religion, and especially cont- contemporary to when the show was coming out, when all that, like, culture war was really raging. And
1: Boy, am I know, glad the culture war is over.
0: Well, yeah, but, like, that specific flavor of culture war, that, like, Clinton-W. Yeah. Right. Bush, at, like, axis of, like, we're about morals and values and you are not kind uh-huh. of religious proselytizing like i <laughs> say what you will about the right wing they are like willing to abandon a position when it stops uh, <laughs> seeming plausible and morals and values is not something i've heard anybody in the republican party mention in like 10 years yeah but like at that time like you know kai Wynn was like a perfect baddie who you know like Fucked up Keiko's shit because she wasn't teaching religion in the schools and stuff, and like, and this and the show was like processing stuff like that. And I think by the end, it's it's much more like this is just a sci fi religion that doesn't like isn't a conversation about like contemporary religion and as much.
1: It's it was so interesting because it wasn't an interfaith conflict, but an intra religious conflict between people who right. occupy the same religious faith that's what i think that's what made the way that they told the story on ds9 so interesting
0: right yeah like kira being probably the person in the main cast with the most fully developed spirituality and also probably the person that hates kaiwin the most
1: (laughs) right right that might be a good segue into a question I wanted to pose which was who was the the best slash worst bad guy on DS9 wow I have I have four on my on my mount villain more <laughs> and I'm finding it very difficult to decide uh, which is the baddest of them all we've got Kai Wynn who we talked about you don't approve of how I conduct myself as Kai who I think right. we can agree is not just a great antagonist on this series but maybe in all of star trek one of the one of the greats yeah. Gold- Golduka, obviously
0: i think it is time to reestablish a permanent cardassian presence aboard this station
1: change leader i think belongs on the mountain they're dead you're dead cardassia is dead your people were doomed the moment they attacked us and then the fourth, I I had kind of a split between Wei Yun and Brunt. You know, I've been watching you. It's people like you that give honest Ferengi business what a bad thing. As <laughs> both kind of occupying like the like the yin and the yang of yeah. of one great actor's work, acting right. very differently as antagonists. Yeah, uh, in a very satisfying way really great villains on this show and not simple villains either right
0: it's amazing that they had such great villains and also like didn't ever quite figure out how to use quark and whether he should be a villain or not
1: right right because he did awful things and yet the show time and time again forgave those things and forgot about them yeah
0: i was um i was going back through stuff and we were talking about how that like the wrap up of Quark's story in the penultimate episode is kind of almost exactly like a earlier episode. That's that's episode an episode in season one. Like the episode that introduces the Negus is also the one that introduces the idea that Quark would succeed him and wow. and become the leader of Ferenginar. And also it introduces the idea that the Negus had a son which I completely yeah. forgot that was a character. Like, I feel like they abandoned the idea that there might be like patrilineal negacies or anything. <laughs> but also like, y- y- like think about the episode where Ram and Court go home and discover that their mom and the negus are knocking boots. Like if they'd gotten together in a bar with the the negus' son and been like, oh, this is the worst, Right. <laughs>
1: Patrilineal negacies. Mm-hmm. Patrilineal negacies. I want to do a, a linguistic exercise before I get on stage for a live show. <laughs> just just saying that over and over again.
0: I'm in the corner saying red leather, yellow leather, and you're saying patrilineal <laughs> negacy. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's quite a mouthful. Mm. I wonder if they chose not to do that son of negus story because it was running concurrently with a picked up and then set down alexander and warf storyline yeah
0: yeah alexander does really get forgotten doesn't he like i think that there's one I mean, that's what alexander is for on star <laughs> trek yeah i think there's one like spoken reference to him in season seven it's just like, yeah, I've heard he's doing really great in the Klingon military. <laughs> he made assistant manager. Yeah. <laughs> he is not as bad at it as he was when that was a storyline.
1: <laughs> right.
0: The writers abandoned him just as badly as Worf did. That's what I'm
1: saying. They abandoned his boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked that, uh, that Dax ever saw Worf as a as a worthy companion for the long-term, yeah. you know? Yeah, Worf must have been great at fucking, because that's <laughs> kind of the only way I could explain it. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pair. I'm talking Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my state. Oh. I don't use the bucket anymore.
0: Another thing I thought a lot about uh, over the course of this was the way they used, like, changeling paranoia and how much Mm -hmm. it changed over the course of the series because there's like a like right in the middle of the series i feel like is when it really peaks you know there's that two episode arc where they go to earth and there's the evil admiral and o'brien is a shapeshifter we're smarter than solids we're better than you and most importantly
1: we do not fear you the way you fear us
0: they're installing phasers over the door in every room to, like, sweep the rooms periodically to make sure that there yeah. aren't any jugs of water that are actually spying on them.
1: We never got that Barry on sweep episode of someone locked in their quarters, uh, <laughs> climbing up the wall in the corner in order to avoid it.
0: I know. And, and like, I think that that, is, that is, is such a tempting emotion to play with as a writer but I kind of feel like it just got out of hand and they were like, well, this show is just going to be 100% paranoia and changeling hunts all the time if if we don't just kind of like set this down and walk away from it at some point. But I wish they'd done like a better job of like solving for that, you know?
1: Yeah, it felt like a mini arc that could have been expanded into a capital A arc yeah. uh, for longer. But I think that's I think that's what you were saying, though, is is once you introduced the idea of that kind of paranoia, I think maybe part of our problem is that the paranoia was never solved. It was never resolved in a way that yeah. removed it. It was ignored instead. And that's not how you correct for paranoia. That's not how paranoia works. <laughs> that's not how any of this works. <laughs> I, if what have you ever forgotten about your your personal paranoia <laughs> and and that actually worked
0: i might be the one person that could you know i just yeah. like i'd forget about it and then like weeks or months later my wife would remind me of it and then i'd be like fuck ah i'm worried again
1: yeah that's that's what your special person is there for <laughs> <laughs> hey are you still worried about that thing that it seems like you recently got over <laughs> Well, I am, I am. I am anew. <laughs>
0: Are you finished? Finished? <laughs> Let's talk about Captain Cisco, one of the uh, one of the great Star Trek captains.
1: Yeah, I think we can say that now, right? I think so. Yeah, and and I, even though uh, he he left his uh, fiance and his <laughs> beloved son, and their unborn child. <laughs> By jumping off a cliff with Golducott.
0: <laughs> I mean it had to be done. He had to take that motherfucker out. He was about to he was about to uh, coast emoji in the entire galaxy. That would have been no good.
1: I want to talk about that moment a little bit. Okay. In a way that I don't think we really dove into in the in the finale episode. It happens so fast, right? Yeah. Golducott's holding the book. Cisco hits the uh, the mini tramp <laughs> takes him over the side <laughs> into the flames. I think a lot of other series would insert a pregnancy in the moment that allowed for our main character to consider the sacrifice but because it's so instinctual and happens so fast, I think you lose the sacrificial element of what Cisco does in that moment and right. I think a greater sense of that sacrifice might serve him better, especially because in the scene that follows, uh, the Cisco has become a little more detached and woo woo with uh, a, a little
0: bit more space Jesus y.
1: Yeah, in a way that, that doubles down on his lack of consideration in that initial moment. I wonder how much they played with that tension. Right,
0: the, these earthly cares. Yeah don't matter to him at that point
1: it makes it seem more hurtful in the white space than maybe they intended
0: yeah I mean I know that they really like worried over how to to have that play and Mm -hmm. it's also kind of amazing to think about it being a double episode and them not really having time for him to Mm -hmm. process the you know the fact that he is making a huge sacrifice but it's the the story threads are so weird, right? Because it's like they're having like a party in the Hollow Suite while Coast Mogen Ducat is killing Kai Nguyen. Like the and then and then yeah. Cisco is like, all right, well, uh, this has been a fun party, but I gotta go. If Cassidy had been like uh, like Chloe back at at CTU, <laughs> helping yeah. him helping him find. Ducat. And,
1: and Rom could be like Edgar. <laughs> Rom would be Edgar.
0: Uh, I'm going to go do
1: a side plot. <laughs> uh, I was gassed at work. <laughs> I mean, like, that's not really
0: the role that Cassidy Yates plays in any other context. So it would have been really hard to write her toward a moment like that, but. I wish that they. I wish that I. I agree with you that it would have been nice for them to communicate, or for Jake and Ben to communicate before he did that.
1: That it, the finale was so good at tying up so many loose ends and giving every character their moment of resolution, that it is. It remains bizarre to me that that's how the main character's (laughs) story ends, (laughs) while you know Cassidy is holding an unborn child that is half profit in her and there is never any suggestion that uh, that there could be something special brewing in there <laughs> right <laughs> like there's never there's never like the tap on the belly no uh, like, what if it were Cassidy that goes up to the gazing window with Jake at the end, and when the when the, the wormhole opens, little old baby kicks? <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. What then?
0: What if uh, when Ben Sisko comes out of the wormhole, it is via childbirth, and he is actually born as Cassidy's baby?
1: <laughs> this is all, like, extremely on-the-nose stuff, but at least it it is a punctuation in a way that like one thing about deep space nine that so many people appreciate is that it does resolve cleanly, that it does give everyone the ending and then, and that there is really no suggestion of it coming back ever. (laughs) Like that is, that's something that that people have written about. Like it's nice. It just ends and it ends completely and it's, it will, it will never return. And yeah, I get that, but uh, I don't know that, we're made to love and care about Cassidy and Jake so much during the series that I'm left to worry about them Yeah. instead of feel like they're going to be okay.
0: Do you think that there was some idea that maybe there was going to be a handful of feature films for this cast? So they wanted to write an end that left options for that.
1: I never read that that was ever on the table. Yeah did you did you find anything out about that? No,
0: I mean I, I know that fans have been asking like every time a cast member of this show is on a dais somewhere, they get asked <laughs> about it and are like, yeah. Ugh, "It's not happening." We're all we're all yeah. way past that at this point. Uh, but yeah. but I wonder if they just wanted to like hold out some hope because I mean like. When did First Contact come out? That was pretty successful, right? Sure it was. 96.
1: It's hard to make a Star Trek movie that doesn't include the Enterprise, you know? Yeah.
0: And, and it's hard to imagine what a Deep Space Nine movie would have been or could have been. Like, I think right. the setting lends itself much better to television than it does film.
1: Or a B story in an A story that involves a starship.
0: I guess what I'm saying is like there's some vanity potentially in that, you know, like the the writers saying like, well, we don't want to we don't want to paint ourselves into a story corner. Like, I kind of think that's why no main cast members buy the farm in the in the last episode, you know, because if you like Hmm. kill Odo or kill Chief O'Brien or Kira or or any of them. You know, then it's like, okay, like now we're gonna do now we're gonna do a Star Trek movie and it's and it's Kirk and it's Spock and not McCoy. You know
1: (laughs) I mean you say that that this show doesn't kill anyone, but I mean, does Cisco not die? Does Odo not die? Are these not characters going away never to come back?
0: I think that contemporarily Cisco for sure is coming back and like you maybe have like an interesting film in like new problem uh, of existential nature is influencing the Alpha Quadrant and the only man that we can think of to help is Odo. So we got to go to the G-Quad to get him. And then, you know, (laughs) Odo is like, give me a fucking break I'm, I'm enjoying life floating in this lake all the time
1: i don't need you They park a runabout on that little uh that little oasis rock <laughs> and uh they, like they just dunk a, a ladle in nope not him nope not him either
0: yeah bashir is like let me taste some of this and see if i can identify him <laughs>
1: It's a question of filtration.
0: now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was watching. Uh, There are a number of these available to anyone who just wants to burn an entire afternoon, but like just clips of the show, people's favorite clips. Yeah. And one of the clips that popped up repeatedly was that conversation between Quark and Garrick about the nature of the Federation and and their relationship to it. And Root Beer as the comparison. Yeah. It's so bubbly and cloy and happy, just like the Federation. People like this scene for a lot of good reasons. It's a it's a great scene between two very interesting characters talking about their place in the universe. But I wondered why this concept wasn't worth returning to during and after the Dominion War, right? Yeah. Like, because because Quark and Garrick are talking about their place in this machine. They don't really find a comfortable spot in it one way or the other they sort of resent the federation stink <laughs> all over all over everything it's insidious i wonder if it was worth following up with them at the end after the dominion war after their existence was on the line yeah to see how much more complicated their feelings were after having their asses saved by them and in garrick's perspective uh having his home world nearly exterminated by by the conflict involving them
0: yeah i mean think about how much more heavy that scene would have been on the surface of cartier where Martok right. and Beltbuckle buckle and Cisco are standing there and and garrick comes out and they're like hey we're drinking root beers do you want to join us
1: right Right, and and Garrick's like, nope. I actually have to continue digging <laughs> five hundred million graves. <laughs> Little busy.
0: Yeah. Speaking of the Cardassians, the big conflict involving the humans and the Cardassians early on in this series is the Maquis. Maquis, and the kind of like militancy of the Cardassians and the disavowed humans that are. Militaristic against them that the Federation would rather not have to deal with, and I think it's it's really interesting how much they transition away from that. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think partly it's that like you know the Dominion War is just like like oh yeah well we just took over all of those star systems that were in question anyways like who gives a fuck but um, but also like there's the whole Eddington storyline and. <laughs> he seems to be sort of the end boss of the maquis and you know maybe a candidate for your mount Villainmore. i'm not sure
1: that's a great call that was an example of a storyline that was introduced and cut in in like a 90 degree angles. yeah yeah like like really nicely packaged together and you're right eddington is such an interesting character in this show
0: today we're gonna dovetail a new storyline into uh <laughs> long running stat <tricks. laughs> now the measurements have to be very precise here because the tolerances are very touchy
1: i that was like the moment where even more than in the pale moonlight i feel like that's the that's the part that changed cisco that began to change cisco forever yeah as a starfleet, you know? Yeah. And Eddington's betrayal made the in the pale moonlight breaking bad possible. Like I don't think in the pale moonlight happens unless yeah, Eddington turns.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I It's interesting cuz you know, we've got a a kind of a large number of Starfleet captains to look at and compare at this point and Picard is a character that really thinks of himself as being very by the book, but Mm -hmm. because he thinks of himself as by the book, he feels entitled to bend and break rules all the time because he understands on this like intrinsic level what the rules are meant to do. And if he can serve the like higher ideal in the moment by breaking the rule, he uh, is perfectly willing to do that. Whereas, you know, Kirk or. Michael Burnham are characters that are like free thinkers like you know know the rules and regulations but like set them aside at the drop of a hat if it doesn't serve them you know like there there isn't that kind of like intellectualized rationale behind
1: breaking bad for them and i think we that- never get the self scrutiny in, in those other characters as we do with cisco cisco yeah actually permits himself to to adjudicate that in a way that that is super interesting yeah. about him
0: uh, and and very unique to him specifically i don't think that i don't think that he's really like any of our other captains in that way like he really he really needs to have internal consistency and, and hates it when he breaks his own rules.
1: We so rarely get that conflict externalized in those other captains, you know, like like Picard rarely sat with Troy yeah. to tell her about his internal conflicts outside of his assimilation. He didn't look
0: into the camera uh, and, and say what was on his mind one single time.
1: Kirk... Made a captain's log about uh, hating Klingons and always will, <laughs> but you never got you never got a log about uh, about his many prime directive breaks yeah. over the course of his career. Or like, you know?
0: boy, I really should have uh, I really should have looked back on uh, Seti Alpha Six and made sure everything was copacetic over there. That was a big mistake by me.
1: There's something admirable about a a confident captain. Yeah. That's how they make admiral.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But but there's also something admirable about a leader who can admit to, to the human frailty of not having one hundred percent confidence in their decisions and even accepting that regret is part of the game when you sit in that chair. Yeah. You know, and and that was something that Ben Cisco was able to articulate in a brand new way, in Star Trek. It's something about him that I really admired. Me
0: as well, Adam. Um, I think what we should do. I'm I'm going to suggest
1: we get to our P ones and then do our mountains. Um, and the mountains being the segment that we do on the wrap up episode of the Star Trek series, we cover. Yeah. Uh, where we. We construct the Mount Armus of the series, the Mount Nuckmore of the series.
0: Yeah, and then I suggested and, uh, that we have a third mountain this time, um, which we probably should have done. It's probably more appropriate even for TNG than it is for DS9. But um, I, like, I want to like issue a special uh, mountain for corny episodes that are like, both bad episodes and bad ideas, but I still like them because they're just like that dorky Star Trek fun. The, the kinds of episodes where Star Trek fans have a soft spot in their heart for them, but are not what you show somebody first if you're trying to get them into the franchise. And I, I think it needs, I like Mount more. is bad but maybe that's appropriate. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Is it Mount, Mount Al-Murane? Al-Murane? Okay, yeah. well, we I said it we in unison. I think we came up with it at the same time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how we know our tracks are synced. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Drop well, a marker there. Uh, what do you say we get into
0: our Priority One message inbox? Sounds good.
1: Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need up a
0: supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Supplement. Yeah, it's extra.
1: By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship.
0: Our first message is of a personal nature, and it's from Maria, and it's to Justin Fleming, and it goes like this. Oh, and and we're missing an anniversary. This is uh, this was targeted for uh, early October. So sorry, Yikes. Justin. But uh, here we go, Justin. Happy first anniversary. Maria can't believe she's already spending... She's already spent a year listening to you listen to us. And surprisingly... That year
1: is now a year and a half, thanks to <laughs> when this message is coming out.
0: <laughs> and surprisingly, even after learning about your obsession with Star Wars, she can't wait to spend another year with you. Ben and Adam things... Justin loves or hates is how I mix up Star Trek and Star Wars and when I explain my jokes.
1: (laughs) Both Uh, of those things are very cute.
0: Wow. Uh, Justin, Maria sounds great and uh, congratulations to the both of you on uh, more than 12 months of being together.
1: Wow. Congrats. Ben, our second Priority One message is a long-distance request. Okay. It is from Plavim. What? And it is to Raz. Viewers of The Greatest Generation will recognize Raz and Plavim uh, from (laughs) the TNG episodes of this program. uh, It's been such a long time. Big, big, big supporters of the show. uh, And uh, one of the... One of the forgotten memories I have is doing that show in, in Milwaukee, oh, man. meeting them in person and then getting so hammered that uh, I don't really remember riding a tandem bicycle. <laughs>
0: I do. With them. Uh, yeah, they, they, they came in like tailcoats and top hats and I think had like monocles and mustaches as well. And yeah. uh, and they and and a tandem bicycle was was parked outside the venue. And when we got off stage, uh, one of our drunkest shows we've ever done. Uh, <laughs> we got off stage and like hung out with Raz and Plavim for a bit, and they convinced us to uh, get on their tandem bicycle and ride it around. In front of the venue for a while and we rode just like, in the middle of the street across the street like around the pumps at a gas station nearby and back and we were so hammered it's like probably the closest I've ever come to death
1: <laughs> I evidently have an open invitation to EAA air venture out there uh, from Raz and Plavim, but uh, oh wow this is the this is the first we're hearing from them in a long time. I hope they're doing great wherever I'm, I'm, they are. I'm glad to
0: hear them. But uh but do they have a does does Plfume have a message for Raz?
1: Here's the message, Ben. I have no idea if I still listen to this podcast anymore. In parentheses, <laughs> it's 11/17 to today. Wow. I just listened to the 3rd episode of DS9. Anyway, tell Raz to go fuck himself. <laughs> quote, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> this uh, The requested date of this P1 was the series finale of DS9. Oh, boy. And then in parentheses, if they stop podcasting before then, then their last episode. <laughs> I love that kind of faith in us, Beam. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. That rules. Times.
0: <laughs> uh I guess we must have I don't know how the how the calendar got out of sync, but uh, we must uh, there must have been like a double episode that got counted as a as two or something like that, or yeah, or whatever. Uh, but anyways, thank you, Plavim, and uh, and I know that the rascals will will surely have a response, but it will be a long time before we hear it because uh, we have so many of these P1s booked up uh, right now. So if yeah. you'd like to get a P1. And you are a rascal, or any other kind of person, head to maximumfun.org/jumbotron and uh, set it up. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred bucks for a promotional message, and we really appreciate it. Gotta get that, get that. Go press that. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. microdose.com, promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books, they send in... Paintings. They send in, uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And, uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly, incredibly fascinating.
1: Find us by searching
0: for the word secretly in your podcast app and at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? did you find yourself a series-spanning drunk
1: Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk, drunk Shimoda. Shimoda! This was harder than it should have been, I think. It's it, tough. I, it felt, thought, I thought it would be fairly obvious, but I did a lot of thinking, a lot of soul searching, <laughs> a lot of studying. I went back into my notes, yeah. I looked at the statistics, and when I when I did the math on everything, It's gotta be Quark. Wow. Quark is the drunk Shimoda of this show. Uh, As just the show's main chaos agent. Yeah. I think if you're starting with a blank page on a Deep Space Nine episode, a reliable place to start is Quark inside Quark's bar, planning some shit, and then everyone else reacting to whatever that Shimoda (laughs) inciting incident is. (laughs) <laughs> and I think for, for his dependability throughout the episode as an instrument of chaos. Yeah. Uh and with varying degrees of success, uh, he's gonna be my my series drunk shimoda. Man, what about you, Ben?
0: I did not do the level of soul searching as you did, but I I can't say that I can find any fault in your logic, so I will join you on the Quark Square. He's also going to be my series Shimoda. You're
1: just you're just copying off of me because you didn't study before the test.
0: I didn't study before the is. test. I uh, I fucked up. <laughs> wow, uh, wow. But, well, let's see if you fuck up
1: your mountains, Ben.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what I did was I wrote down my my candidate. I did this on the TNG my my TNG mountains as well. I did like my favorite tip-top episode per season and then I'm going to try and narrow it down to four for my Mount Armis and my Mount Nuckmore
1: uh-huh.
0: and then um, well maybe I'll start with my Mount Alamorain uh, just to get that out of the way because that, that I just have the four So Mount Alamarain, the, uh, the 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 corny episodes that are corny as hell, but we just love them, anyways.
1: Just a mountain made of corn niblets.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so I have I have four episodes here. I, I I don't think that there are corny episodes in every season of this show, which is one way Deep Space Nine differentiates
1: itself from TNG. Before you even start. Yeah. How many? Of the same episodes, do you think we have on our three mountains? Oh man, I
0: think I think Mount El Moraine will maybe be like three. We'll have three in common, and then like Mount Armis, I think
1: maybe like two might might wind up being in common. So. Twelve total faces on these three mountains. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the over under at six, right okay. in the middle. Okay. Oh, interesting. Do okay. you think it's 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 more or less than than six, and a push is possible?
0: I'm gonna guess it's under.
1: I think that would be my bet too. Okay. All right. Continue.
0: All right. So my Mount Ella Moraine. are Move along home, season one, episode nine. Same.
1: Got our first one.
0: The House of Quark. Which is the episode where he goes and uh, marries a Klingon lady. Uh-huh. That was a fun one. Trials and Tribulations. Oh. And Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite.
1: Uh, I have that one on my Mount Alamorain as well. What are so your two other the two? Four we share. Uh, Little Green Men, the Area 51 episode. That was on mine until I
0: remembered Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, and then I had to, I had to swap it out. <laughs>
1: And this is going to be very controversial. Okay, i I'm gonna get I'm gonna get letters for this. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna read those letters. We don't check the email anymore. You're, you're talking about corny, Ben. Yeah. You're talking about not bad, but corny specifically. Yeah. Corny. It's the visitor man. Wow. Jake is the old man writer. <laughs> the the Gazi Hallmark film of a Deep Space Nine story. This is a lot of people's favorite, favorite episode of the series, but yeah. um, I mean, judging from the episode of, of uh, Greatest Generation, it certainly was.
0: <laughs> it's, never, it's everyone's least favorite episode of this show.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that one didn't work for me.
0: Okay. Um, let's move on to Mount Armist.
1: on my mount armis of bad episodes uh the season four episode the muse uh you might remember this one as as jake and the scalp massage lady yeah uh who gets him who gets him to write good <laughs> <laughs> the b story of this episode was Luxana married to that guy that odo then has to steal her from you remember yeah. so kind yeah. of uh kind of parallel love stories maybe
0: interesting that's
1: that's my first uh then i've got profit and lace the quark disguised as a female to be a to close a business deal
0: episode also on my mountain
1: that he learns nothing from at the end (laughs) the season five episode let he who is without sin also on my mountain The unforgivable wharf episode, the one that that dumps the poison into the wharf well, (laughs) uh, making it Mm unpotable
0: forever. Yeah. Uh,
1: Just just an unforgivable moment for him ruining a vacation. Yeah. That uh, that should have been great. Uh, And then the season six episode, uh, Time's Orphan. The Wild Child Ow. episode, I thought was, uh, I think you'll you'll see in my Mount Nuckmore episodes just how much I liked Miles O'Brien as a character and how, and how that influenced what may or may not be my favorite episodes of the series. But that one, uh, a rare miss for an O'Brien family episode. Wow. Uh, so, Time's Orphan, my fourth of four. Okay. It sounds like we shared...
0: One or two of those. I think we shared two, which means we're really close to.
1: Yeah, we're up to four. What about you, Ben? All right, My who, who are the two that we don't share?
0: Well, I'll just I'll give you all four because I'm a little drunk and I can't remember which ones you said. My Mount Armus is Q-less, the Q and Vash visit the station episode from season one. I think it's it a great call. Both a misstep in terms of trying to get TNG viewers to come. Watch Deep Space Nine by having some TNG characters show up. Those are not the TNG characters they should have chosen. And also it's just a misstep in that it's like a total misuse of Q. It has
1: like it's such a George Lucas sensibility. Like I heard you like TNG characters. Here's Vash. Uh
0: my next one, Peldor Joy, Adam. It's fascination, mm. the episode where everyone gets like possessed and wants to fuck each other uh yeah that was fun and then let his who was without sin and profit and lace
1: yeah yeah good call
0: you want to hear my runner-ups from the other seasons
1: yeah uh what what was on the bubble that didn't make it out of curiosity
0: on the bubble were armageddon game which is the one where the like aliens with the like really crazy like hair braids that like stuck up on the sides were disposing of their bio weapons and Bashir and O'Brien are going to get killed. <laughs> Fun. Yeah, that was a good. one. Um uh, uh, our man Bashir, the, uh, the hollow sweet yeah. one where they're all like playing crappy the knock-off.
1: episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Knock off. It's not even knock off James Bond. It's knock off Austin powers. Um, <laughs> right. And then treachery faith and the great river. Uh, when, and this is more th- like, that's probably like closer to a failure just because I don't like the way they handled it than that. I don't think it was a good idea for an episode. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, that's the one where Wei Yun-6 defects and right. it's not a bad episode per se, but it felt like filler and it felt like, they could have used it to launch a very interesting storyline where there's like two Weyunes on either side of the conflict or something and they kind of... <laughs> I feel like they lost their nerve like taking that one over the finish line And in an interesting Weyun
1: way. 6 takes off his sideburns, reveals himself <laughs> to be Weyune 7. <laughs> yeah. He steals the Defiant. Mm-hmm.
0: They get in a fist fight uh, around a, uh, a campfire and Bones is there. Fuck.
1: Where was that episode on any of our mountains? That should I wanna make a last second uh change to my Mount Nuckmore. <laughs> that episode should be on it. <laughs> the Thomas Riker episode. Oh man. That's uh. where I'm gonna start, Ben. A stick or a branch? Um about this long, this thick. Ben the season three episode featuring Tom Riker, Defiant. Wow. Definitely belongs on my Mount Nuckmore. I think any mountain named after Nuck uh, deserves a Riker on it. And unlike the faces of a of a Mount Rushmore, it's just it's just crotch. <laughs> All crotches on Mount Nuckmore. Uh, I'm gonna put that into the spot. Uh, that was occupied by the season 2 season finale the gem hadar wow which is an episode that i really loved yeah i will always 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 remember you know the first episode where you meet the gem hadar the first episode where you meet the vorda yeah. the episode where that galaxy class ship is destroyed one of the best of the series to me was that episode, but not good enough to stand <laughs> up to Tom Riker yeah. laying one on Major Kira in the second slot. Hard time. The season four episode where O'Brien gets sentenced to a life sentence in mind prison.
0: That was a big one for you.
1: Just an awesome episode. Uh, really Really affected me. Uh, and then the final two, maybe the most obvious to anyone who enjoys the series, uh, Far Beyond the Stars and In the Pale Moonlight uh, are on my Mount Nuckmore as well. Just Not just great episodes of Deep Space Nine, but great episodes of television, period.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it was really hard to narrow it down to four for me, and... You know, I, I I did my best. So here 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 are mine. My first is Emissary, season one, episode one, which wow is pretty wild. But I think it's a great start. Like there's so many like vivid moments in that for me. Like thinking about the Wolf Three Five Nine stuff, like. The yeah. the like mind blowing idea of seeing Wolf Three Five Nine from a different perspective. And then the like starting us on hard mode of Commander Cisco is pit against Picard in that episode. Yeah. And yeah. there's so much confidence in that choice. Like the our fucking space dad doesn't like this guy and he doesn't like space dad. And now you're going to ask me to watch a TV show about him digging the hole. They made it much harder for themselves than they needed to. But I think that it was such a smart choice because it really contrasted the two of them. It really set a tone that this is not TNG this is not this. This is not supplementary material to TNG. It's its own show. It's its own cast. They're, they're going through their own shit. And I think, uh, as a first episode it is really really strong my next one is past tense parts one and two a bit of a cheat but uh i don't think that uh i don't think we could get out of this episode without talking about chris brenner i'm chris brenner brenner information systems you know interface operations net access channel 90
1: that chris brenner certainly not that was a great two-parter
0: yeah and mostly uh,
1: because of Chris Brenner
0: yeah I mean uh, it's 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 the Deep Space Nine episode I probably think about the most uh, and that's probably just symptomatic of of this time that we are living in but um, but I think that it it I I remember watching it when it came out and I uh, I think that like all the greatest art it's one of those things where it it felt like a real challenge when i watched it like i kind of rejected some of what it was trying to get me to swallow and then kind of proved itself right over and over again over the years and that i love i love when art does that so uh, that's on my mount nook more
1: i think there is a quality about chris brenner that is familiar to those who appreciate Kevin Uxbridge, yeah, in that there was something about that character that was unintentionally funny,
0: yeah, absolutely that
1: that delighted me to <laughs> no end and not in a mean way either, like no, like we're not mean to Kevin Uxbridge in in using him as a as a character on our show, just as we're not mean. To Chris Brenner, but there's something about his character and his delivery, and it's so hard to describe, but but yeah. when you see it and you hear it, you know it, that that is a greatest gen character. Absolutely. Like, leapt
0: off the screen at both of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. My next one, a uh, bit of a curveball here, but uh, I think about this episode sometimes too. Uh, it is Dr. Bashir, I presume. This is the episode where we find out about Dr. Bashir's genetic manipulation and we meet his parents Good and app. it kind of feels to me like a an important episode in the transition of the show from being a more traditional syndicated television show where it didn't really matter that much what episode order you saw it in or whatever to being a more thready show where you have to kind of like follow storylines from week to week and also as it got darker and a little bit more action oriented uh this was a good reminder that this show was still really good at thinking about like ethics and the future and technology and the intersection of all those things while also being really fun, which is like it in, in, in that way, it's got some real solid Star Trek DNA. Like that's what I love about TNG, you know, like that kind of, it's a morality play, but it's a fun adventure, but it's set in the future kind of vibe is, is in that, but it also really feels like a Deep Space Nine episode. And it's also like, I don't know like the the characters of his parents are just like so fun and well realized and um i I love his relationship with them and how exposed he suddenly feels by having them running around the station introducing themselves to his coworkers and stuff. um I really love that episode uh and then my final one is far beyond the stars
1: tough to beat not a That's big a good list, yeah, yeah. We were effusive then uh, and we are effusive now. Absolutely.
0: More, more, more.
1: Stop. Have a time. That's Deep Space Nine, man. We did it. We did it. It's done. It's done until we go back to the beginning <laughs> and do this all over again in fifteen years. Like painting the golden gate. That's what that's the, what the greatest uh, gen is. Greatest Generation colon, retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is up next for us then is is next week season 1 episode <laughs> 1 of Star Trek Voyager? I, I was just looking at our P1
0: calendar and wondering about that because I th- <laughs> This is this is so us Adam. I think we told Adam Ragusia we probably need new music by valentine's day which would be one day before the episode release of the first episode of voyager except for i think that's an episode i think that's a week late for when hmm. the, these episodes are actually falling so well we should uh, get a hold of the
1: goose and see yeah. what our chances are
0: we uh we may be in big trouble but uh you
1: know maybe hey, maybe we should do <laughs> if uh if the music's not ready, let's just take a skip week. Let's take a week <laughs> off. So
0: far from it. Um yeah. I mean it it still shocks me that anyone listens in the first place, but uh but yeah. Uh I'm really excited to get into Voyager, uh a show I have a ton of love for. And um another show that I'm I'm sure will give us some some really primo entries in our Mount Armises and our Mount Alamoranes in addition to our Mount Nuckmores.
1: Yeah, uh, Star Trek getting out of the blocks is always a little bit of a, of a rough ride. Absolutely. So, and uh, once again, this is this is going to be new trek to me. So yeah. looking forward to that. Thanks to everyone
0: who has uh, been listening all these years, uh, especially Raz and Plavim and uh, yeah,
1: special shout out to them <laughs> who knows Wherever if they, they still are. listen
0: um, give us a heads up if, you, if you're still listening Raz and Plavim we want to know
1: yeah shoot us a proof of life uh, picture with a, with a newspaper <laughs> I think that <I> would <laughs> put our um, minds
0: at ease uh, the uh, other people we need to thank include Bill Tilly the, uh, the social media director for Uxbridge Shimoda LLC he uh, hey. he runs the uh, the greatest trek social media accounts for this show and the greatest discovery. We also got to thank Adam Ragusia who makes our theme music and is, I'm sure, toiling in the dungeon on the new theme music for the show as we speak. Uh, he is a great bud and has a really awesome cooking channel on YouTube. If you just search Adam Ragusia on YouTube, uh, you can find that. Uh, listen to our other Star Trek podcast the greatest discovery if uh, if you if you haven't had enough here
1: you know you want to it's great yeah. the the hit new Star Trek show podcast greatest discovery get yeah. into it yeah we got a new board game starting up
0: yes next week
1: too we we've got a lot of new things ahead for this new series yeah um, i mean it's, it's a, it's, a great.
0: it's an adaptation of the original board game it's got some new
1: features it's it's
0: got some exciting features
1: we got rid of the things that people hate <laughs> that's going away <laughs> yeah. and uh, more of the things that people love and we love felipe and craig
0: who uh, are working on uh, making that happen thank you to them so uh, with that, we will we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the Greatest Generation that is uh, crewing up
1: its new hip ship. I think the the ship kind of looks like a, a upside down toilet bowl. <laughs> 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 Kinda looks yeah, like a toilet chip, Ben, doesn't yeah, it?
0: But for like one of those toilets that you only see in a in like a gas station bathroom, like that extra long bowl.
1: Where's the handle? And <laughs> you just grab a you grab a nacelle and well the nacelles that's, that's they a... flex, right? Yeah, so you flex a nacelle down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the good ship turlet. Yeah. Let's go on a seven year adventure with that. Never have to pull over when your ship's a toilet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's dumps in that nebula. (laughs)